Welcome back to Overthinking Movies. I am your overthinking host, Brandon Hain. Of course, joined by my terrifying co-host, Alex Ulaki. Yes, hello. <laughs> and today we are talking... <laughs> okay, I'm not going to do that the entire time. We're going to talk about Renfield, the new movie coming out of Universal Pictures in their... Well, now kind of disconnected MonsterVerse. This is kind of the first time they've done another one of these since, well, The Invisible Man from back in 2020, which was an excellent movie. And now we got their sort of reinterpretation of Dracula. And we're going to try to piece together our thoughts on the movie and decide for ourselves and for you if it's worth seeing. As usual, we're going to go into general thoughts before we talk about the spoilers of the movie itself. Renfield's an interesting case, Alex. It it originally was supposed to be part of the same universe as The Mummy with Tom Cruise. It was going to build off from that and become the new uh, Dracula that would fit into that universe. But since, you know, The Mummy was a horrible movie and nobody liked it, and it didn't make any money, they threw out the idea of doing a universe and split it off into its own standalone movies. Invisible Man became its own standalone serious horror film, and they decided to retool Renfield into being uh, more of a comedy take on Dracula. The original movie was meant to be directed by the director of the recently released uh, Rocket Man the Elton John biopic, which I heard pretty good things about, but instead, when that director had to bow out due to his own projects he was working on at the time with how long it was taking for Renfield to come out of development hell, the directing duties were then passed over to Chris McKay, the director of the Lego Batman movie, Hmm. which is a really fun, solid little comedy film. So there's definitely a lot of potential there, and the story for this new interpretation was conceived by Robert Kirkman, the creator of The Walking Dead. Right. Now, you know, there's a distinct difference between who came up with the story and who actually wrote the script. The story was Robert Kirkman. The actual screenplay writing of the dialogue of this movie was Ryan Ridley, who was a writer on, like, Community and uh, Rick and Morty and a lot of, like, Dan Harmon projects. Really? Huh. That's kind of surprising to hear for me. Yeah. Uh, what do we mean by that? Well, to just get into it, Renfield, there's aspects of it that I do think are fun, that I do think are entertaining, but the overall feeling I had walking out of the theater was honestly a little bit of like gross disappointment. Just feeling like, eh, well, I saw it. I can't say that I felt gross disappointment. I came out pretty satisfied. Oh, really? I mean... I did want to wait another day to review this. We could have possibly tossed around the idea of doing this last night, but I figured I needed another day to process because I felt like my excitement for it was only going to wane. I didn't think that I was going to appreciate it more if I gave it some time. Um, No, because I found the action and horror effects to be incredibly satisfying. It was just... Like I said, when I was surprised about the the writer, I'm currently going through Community right now, and I'm very much enjoying it, and I think the comedy works a lot. And though there are a list of instances, I could say, of uh, jokes and little things that worked well here, it was just the, the comedy in it that did not work for me, really, throughout most of the film. That tone was just 
oftentimes too over the top. I mean, it kind of, it has like that Marvel feel, but like with less stuff that even works. And sometimes in a lot of Marvel films, like for instance, Thor Ragnarok, I know you kind of sat through a lot of the, the jokes there, as did I, although I didn't necessarily mind a lot of the, the humor in there, whereas a lot of the humor in here I felt to be kind of irksome. So that's where I stand on this thing right now. Wow, interesting. Yeah, I came out of this liking things about it, but when I looked at the credits and saw the movie had like three editors, I was like, yeah, (laughs) that kind of checks out to me because a lot of the movie felt like it was really put together and then put together again, and then they wanted to change this or they were having... It felt like a movie that wasn't quite sure. It had sort of an idea of what it wanted to be, but it also made, almost made me feel like they kept being unsure during production where they wanted it to go, and there was studio interference that caused them to kind of change the tone or add things or cut things out. Because multiple times in this movie, Alex, there is ADR. There is, if people don't know what that is, basically when a character has their back turned in a scene, sometimes... Hollywood will have actors dub lines into a scene over their character to add extra dialogue. Sometimes it's to add comedy. Sometimes it's to add context to a scene that they feel the audience won't understand. But here, a lot of times, it felt really forced and it didn't work. Like, for example, there's a part where uh, Quincy, the police officer, uh, she's investigating a crime scene. And as she's entering the crime scene, very quickly, she just suddenly pushes out the line, this is where he was last seen. I'm going to find what he was after here. And then she starts investigating. I was like, oh, geez, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Now, okay, what did I like about the movie? I did like Nicolas Cage as Dracula. Now, am I going to put Nicolas Cage up in in the pantheon of Bela Lugosi and, and Christopher Lee and all the classic Dracula roles. No, I think he's too hammy at times. I think he goes too hard. I can see what he was trying to do with his very precise and elegant movements to the way he does his role and how he kind of switches back and forth between being being manipulative and convincing and charming while also being this kind of scary, ominous guy. I just felt like at times in his attempt to try to match the comedic tone, but also trying to be a serious villain, it didn't always work for me. But overall, I would say that his performance was one of the parts of the movie I liked the most. Yeah, that definitely sums it up pretty well. One of the other characters that sold this movie for me, which I didn't even expect, was... Ben Schwartz, who plays Teddy Lobo, the son of a gangster of the Lobo family. And Ben Schwartz, Alex, if you're not aware. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've watched a lot of Parks and Rec and Space Force, so they definitely, like, went hard on finding actors who do a lot of the -the over-the-top stuff. I mean, obviously going with Nick Cage and then Ben Schwartz, and then you have... uh, her name is pronounced Aquafina for Quincy. I've seen her and other things, and she pretty much always does the same yelling thing, too. And between her and Ben Schwartz, it was kind of a lot. But like I said, I've watched enough Parks and Rec and Space Force to just be at least used to his particular brand being yelled at me for a while. Yeah, and I, of course, I know Ben Schwartz because he's the voice of Sonic in the Sonic movies. Of course, yes. Of course, that's why I know him. But he was 
to me, he was part of what was selling me on the movie along with Nicolas Cage because I really liked a lot of his almost it felt like improv comedy and just a lot of his delivery. He he was really into it throughout a lot of the movie and I wanted to see more of him. Not that I didn't like Nicholas Holt as Renfield. I felt like he did a good job balancing the serious dramatic moments of dealing with this trauma he's going through while also, you know, the comedy of this guy that eats bugs and worships Dracula. I think they casted a good actor for Renfield. I just, there were other characters in the movie that were frankly engaging me more than Renfield himself, but I think they did a decent job making Renfield a likable guy with motives that are relatable. Yeah, they did. Just like you said, though, with the, as far as the tone of it, they definitely could have omitted comedy from his quite a few sequences where they still forced it in with him trying to like cover these more serious moments that did turn out to be an issue a few times. Yes, I agree with you, though, Alex, that other elements of the movie, like the action, was actually very entertaining and well shot. No, he has an action movie it was very satisfying even the the climax which in a lot of action movies becomes too epic in in, far, in terms of like how many characters they're bringing together um and then it'll just like go on for too long but no like the as an action climax this was one of the best things i've seen in a while oh wow interesting yeah i mean it's certainly well shot and a lot of the actors are doing a good job i just there are a lot of elements of the story that i'll get into in the spoiler section as to why i wasn't wholly satisfied with this movie and how it ended up being in the end and why i feel like it feels like it was rewritten and re-edited multiple times but anyway would i recommend it coming out of the theater i'll be honest i was basically just kind of ready to say no but as time has gone on and I've thought about it more, if you like Dracula and you like horror comedies, are there better ones? Well, of course, but this is one of entertaining elements you could get into. If you want to see Nicolas Cage's Dracula, you'll definitely get your fill of that. If you want to see some good action and some interesting character stuff, but not like a great movie, just something interesting and different, then I would check out Renfield, but it's not a high recommendation from me. All right, it certainly bites down well enough on the vampire scale of delivering what vampire movies are generally supposed to. Just be prepared to sit through a lot of over-the-top yelling comedy that, in my opinion, often doesn't work. Yes, agreed. And with that, we'll put the spoiler warning here, and we'll get into talking about the overall film in one, two, three. This movie starts and opens with a recreation of the 1931 version of Dracula starring Bela Lugosi. And when I looked this up, Alex, it's not just that they were doing that as a homage. This movie is literally supposed to be a direct sequel to that movie. Yeah, I definitely got that vibe to it from as soon as, like, that stuff ended. Just with, um, like, doing the whole full-scale thing and, like, literally doing a lot of it shot by shot. I was thinking that some of the set pieces might have even been just actual footage from the the original film and then of course Nicolas Cage throughout like definitely you know when he's not all messed up and bleeding and stuff when he actually looks like a human he really does capture that Bela Lugosi look pretty well 
Yeah, if there's anything I can say about the movie effects-wise that I really enjoyed, it's definitely how we actually get to see different stages of Dracula reincarnating that honestly looked really good. One of the first times we see this is towards the beginning where Renfield's going into his relationship with Dracula and how Dracula is always defeated and we actually see Dracula like burnt up completely by the sunlight until his body is almost just like a, it's just like a burnt crisp. And it's like a cutaway gag for Dracula just being like, no, I don't feel very good. <laughs> and we see a, a number of different stages right. throughout the movie from him with just like a bunch of flesh hanging off of him to him more reformed, but still kind of messed up. But all of that looked really good. And I felt like Nicolas Cage did a decent job acting through all of that intense prosthetics. Right, even just, like, dealing with the, the teeth in his mouth, I mean, that alone looked terrible to have to go through. Those teeth looked really good. Yeah, you can tell he was committed. This was actually Nicolas Cage's first major Hollywood film since Ghost Rider 2 in, like, 2011. <laughs> he definitely, whatever reason, just this stuck out to him, and I think, uh, yeah, he definitely sells a lot of what makes the movie fun. So, what is the overall movie about? So, the overall movie is essentially, it's a comedy horror film about Renfield years and years and decades and, you know, centuries, you know, working for Dracula, and he is getting to this point now where he's starting to consider that maybe his relationship with Dracula is toxic, it's a bad, abusive relationship, and he should try to find his way out and be his own person. This is the part of the movie that intrigued me the most, but I was also ended up kind of being the most disappointed by, because it's a really interesting concept trying to have the Dracula-Renfield relationship be like the metaphor for the real kinds of abusive domestic relationships we see happening in the world every day. But for me, because we even have scenes of Renfield in like a support group as an ongoing thing where he's talking to people about his problems and listening to the real bad experiences others are having in their relationships. But it's all like because the movie's a comedy, it also has many, many moments in those scenes where he's in these support groups that are played up for comedy and none of that worked for me. In fact, it felt totally inconsistent with the message the movie is trying to tell about dealing with an abusive relationship. If you're going to, like, mm. this is a heavy topic. And if you're going to portray that with any sort of weight, it's kind of hard for me to take it seriously or feel the weight the movie's trying to give to it when it's Renfield constantly walking in as someone's describing how their significant other manipulates them and then going, oh, geez, Renfield, aren't you going to let me tell my story for once? And then they just, like, ignore her. And I'm just like, I just, uh, what? I don't know. I, that was, I did like that ongoing gag personally, but I agree that overall they didn't give enough moments to just be dramatic with this thing. I, I think the support group worked fine for having funny moments. Um, I wouldn't say that, like, you had to keep that completely dry. It just doesn't give it any time, really, anywhere to, to just take itself serious with this, which should have been an important step. Yeah, because when you read a lot of the behind the scenes, their whole idea was about trying to find that balance of trying to, yes, it's, it's a comedy, but also trying to find that balance of, of drama and comedy of portraying this relationship as a bad, real thing that is similar to what people in the real world suffer through. And I felt like, honestly, Alex, if I was asked with trying to write this one, I probably would have 
made it more of a serious horror film about... No, yeah, that's, that's what I was talking about with my buddy who I was watching it with. Like, should this have been a, a marriage of comedy, action, and horror? Or would it have worked better with, like, just one of these elements or two of them? And I could definitely see why you might say this could have mostly just been a horror film. Though I do admit what works, what I got most out of it was the action. So, I don't know. It could have told this story more effective if it had been mostly committed to being a horror movie, though. And I'm not saying the movie couldn't have still had comedy. I just would have used it sparingly and had it, you know, be, yeah. be for moments of levity to not make it totally just unbearably grim the entire time. Like, you could have obviously pulled comedy out of the fact that this guy's relationship is with Dracula and him trying to explain his problems to people when it's essentially, you know, he's a vampire. <laughs> right. Um, but instead, the movie is trying to be more of, like you said, it almost has like that Marvel feel where it's trying to be a little of everything. It's trying to be action. Definitely. It's trying to be comedy. It's It has a little bit of horror in there with some of Dracula, you know, decaying and all that kind of stuff. And to me, it, in its attempt to try to be so many things, that's why it ultimately just didn't click with me. But yeah, like you said, the, let's talk about the action. The action in the film is really gory. It's it's fast. It, it like the, the punches have so much weight it's and impact creative. to them. Yes, it's creative. They use a lot of different environments for good set pieces, like towards the end of the film where they have that action scene instead of that apartment building where there's action happening on multiple floors. And I, I thought all that was really well paced. Right, even like throughout the aesthetics of the, the battleground scenes, like that warehouse at the beginning with all of the, the weird props behind them and then that spooky restaurant or bar they were at. No, all of those are, are great settings. And I wanted to point out too that you said this is some fast-paced action sequences right here. It's it's one of those things where like there's so many shots that are just like a second or two and then it's on to the next shot that it was kind of hard to follow. And I, I haven't watched much like this in a while, but I, I always go back to Batman Begins being shot like this, which granted I need to rewatch sometime. I haven't really seen it since it came out in theaters back in like 2005 or whatever and I really didn't like that but here I really actually did like that because there were a lot of characters at time doing these battles and it was in the dark and the fact that I couldn't always follow what was going on but I, then like just suddenly I would feel an impact when like a leg gets snapped or a head gets bashed and actually worked very effectively because that kind of takes me into how the characters might not be able to keep up with things if people are running at vampire speeds or things like that. And throughout the movie, they do a good job of building up higher and higher stakes action scenes until the end of the movie where Renfield's literally fighting people that have his powers. And we get, of course, you know, the big dramatic climax scene where the character I mentioned liking before, Ben Schwartz's... I really like this this ongoing thing. So, like, while the movie is primarily about Renfield and Dracula, there's an ongoing plot with the cop, Rebecca Quincy, played by Aquafina, dealing with her father being killed, I believe, by the Lobos, the this uh, mob family, and her and her sister, and her sister works in the FBI. Her sister just wants... Rebecca to let it go, but Rebecca wants to revenge and find some way through the system that she can take these people out. But at the end of the day, Rebecca's just a traffic cop, so everybody kind of looks down on her. And I, I'll be honest, Alex, Rebecca and the whole cop subplot was the part of the movie I found the least engaging. Yeah, same. I definitely also felt like that was the stuff where they were 
putting in the most like here's funny stuff in per minute and that easily fizzled out to be the most annoying stuff in it too even though i mean it was sort of supposed to be most grounded with re- with like protagonists that you could maybe be supposed to identify with other than renfield that was something that could have been taken a lot more serious because like you said if they had just kept some of the goofy stuff with renfield trying to explain that he is in a relationship with a vampire sort of and that he eats bugs and that he was in the great war and all that stuff because you know he's like immortal you know that stuff worked but definitely especially with like the story they were trying to tell about like the whole force being against her with uh the death of her father and then covering that up it just doesn't give you any time to really feel anything about that and Part of the problem for me was that I just found the writing of the scenes of her and her sister and a lot of their attempts to set up this character's story very, very cliche. Down to the dialogue, even being exact dialogue I've seen in this type of plot in so many other movies where it's just like, just let it go, Rebecca. No, that's not what he would have wanted. And just like, I can't get engaged in it when... Yeah, it's pretty valid. When one, there isn't a lot of focus put on it. Like you said, there's so much in this movie that I felt like didn't really get enough to breathe. But for me, with that character, it just felt like the writing, and I don't necessarily think it's Wakwafina's fault as much as it is just the script not really giving her enough of a compelling character to make me engaged in. Because otherwise, I thought Renfield and like the idea of him worked for the most part in conveying somebody in this weird strange multi-decades and centuries spanning awful relationship having to deal with the fallout of that like that's such an interesting concept and I felt like the the script did a good job portraying a lot of those elements but yeah. (laughs) yeah I mean that's a good point that's such an original idea versus this very hackneyed one too I just didn't think either, like, because they're trying to also build up a relationship between Renfield and Rebecca. And yeah, I, and that just, like, comes, like, right at you, like, oh, he saved me. Oh, wow. At first, they're portraying it like the two of them have, like, this mutual respect for each other. Like, oh, she sees him as this, as, like, doing what she wants to see more people in the world doing. Just standing up to oppression like heroes. And they sort of had this mutual respect for each other's ability to stand up to things. You know, because Renfield, obviously, when he sees her standing up to the gangsters he's viewing that through the lens of himself being unable to stand up to dracula right that's cool that's a neat idea but then they eventually just turn it into a romantic relationship which to me didn't work at all not less because it just didn't make sense for those characters and also because aquafina and nicholas holt don't really have good chemistry with each other at least i didn't think so that, that makes sense i didn't have a problem with it existing but you're right it just happens like i wouldn't mind them being partners but just trying to play it up that these two are gonna be together i just i don't know i would have just had renfield (laughs) figure himself out first before he worries about trying to hook up with somebody (laughs) so you so you weren't a fan of the uh support group sequences too much you would say it's not necessarily the overall support group sequences themselves i think that you get a lot of decent moments in there of renfield really trying to tell his story and getting advice from them that is helpful and does make sense for the kind of advice a support group would give to somebody suffering in a toxic relationship. It's just the comedy they did have in those scenes to me detracted from the weight of being in a support group. Like it didn't feel right. It felt kind of gross having a lot of these ongoing jokes, not to saying that you couldn't have jokes in there 
I just felt like what they ultimately went with of like this one person constantly having her awful story interrupted as well as, I don't know, just the way that a lot of characters in that support group are treated. I They get a happy ending and I appreciated that at least. I just felt like those should have been maybe when the comedy was switched off more and it could have been more of focusing on the character stuff, which it has, but to me, there wasn't enough. Okay, yeah, I agree there wasn't enough. I still don't have a problem with a lot of that being kind of funny because the whole idea of, you know, this vampire servant going to one of these things in its nature is kind of funny. So I, I won't say again that it just didn't give it enough chance to, to take it seriously because we've covered that quite a few times, but I did at least appreciate that I was able to connect enough with, like, this I like that the group was kind of quirky, too, because it does make it feel like kind of a safe place for him, and that actually did leave it pretty impactful once we get to the point where Dracula realizes that this is Renfield's friend group and goes after them. thought that carried enough weight to it. They did at least enough with these guys that I really cared about them by the point that we're soon going to cover here. Oh, yes. When that scene happens where Dracula comes into the support group and he well... You know, he sees what they're filling Renfield's head with, with, all this individuality, when he when he wants Renfield to know that he has no power and he can control him. Yeah, that, that is impactful when Dracula goes around just killing the people in the support group. And no, I honestly wasn't expecting that either. I was like, maybe he'll kill a couple of them, but usually, you know, I, I would think he's going to save some of these supporting characters for now because there are a lot of, oh my gosh Dracula's just killing every one of them he's really ruining Renfield's life wow oh my goodness yeah no that that struck pretty well yes it was an effective way of conveying nobody can help you I'm all you have which is a good way of conveying a toxic relationship right which then immediately leads to Renfield they walk into the room they see Renfield covered in blood and they're like he did it and it's like that kind of misunderstanding thing where he's then arrested oh yeah I had that sense to it like, oh, here we go again with one of these. That was definitely... It's ugh. disappointing, Alex, but it does have a function to the story because it's through Renfield. When she's interrogating him, uh, Rebecca, he's just like, yeah, this is my fault and I'm not going to try to defend myself. This is what I did. And it's through him lamenting and not just fighting back that I think is what ultimately makes Rebecca trust him more and, and forms that relationship. And that's kind of why they do that, even if the misunderstanding where they think he did the murders, that's all pretty tired stuff. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm not saying that it doesn't serve a function. It was just watching that moment again. Like, uh, that that moment I've seen so many times. But it also helps you feel more bad for Renfield in the situation that he's put in by Dracula. Because you feel I like... I guess that is pretty well executed in some sense in that Dracula has set him up like this successfully because that might be something like an abuser would do is pin other people against you takes me back to like a little bit of a dialogue earlier where they did take it serious at least for a few seconds where it's like showing pictures from like the the 1930s or whatever it's supposed to be there of uh Renfield and his family and you know this is after he came to the castle as per the original movie and Dracula kind of takes control of him and Dracula just goes and when he's saying I don't want to be with you right now Dracula he's going are you going to leave me like you did your 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 wife and your child as somebody who was manipulated away from them and he doesn't have a, a good response back to that because yeah I'm assuming that he didn't really follow up with his family much after he became a bug-eating nutcase right and something 
that I wasn't sure how I felt about when it comes to that particular plot point. So, in most interpretations of this story, Dracula has complete control over Renfield, and he's practically hypnotizing him to be his servant. But to me, I heard all that, and I'm like, well, is that really Renfield's fault? Eventually, what this arc leads to is Renfield basically admitting to Rebecca when talking about his family and how they died and he he basically left them that yeah i just came to dracula because i wanted money and i should have stayed with my family instead of going out to dracula's estate in the first place and for me it was like i thought he would want he was going there to get the money that he would then use to help out his family or are they just saying that he wouldn't need the money because his family's was most important for me i just felt like well dracula manipulated him and basically had full control over his soul like is that necessarily renfield's fault in that case i mean in here though like clearly the fact that even 80 years later renfield has a chance to consider this in this particular universe i'm not under the impression that dracula really had full control in a context that sort of works but he's like one of these bad guys who we have in real life of course obviously more powerful and supernatural but he kind of goes to the realistic conclusion of like you can hypnotize somebody who wants to be hypnotized which would in fact lend some fault on Renfield at this point. I mean sometimes I like when you can deviate away from traditional vampire lore sometimes I don't if I don't like what they're doing with it but the whole story here is Renfield getting away from it and if Dracula really had complete supernatural control he wouldn't be able to do that now any more than he could have 80 years ago because it doesn't even take away from the fact that Dracula has some power, but I, I feel just like he has the power to see who could be easily controlled rather than the power to control necessarily. So you're saying in this case, it's less hypnotism and more of... Because I, I agree with you in, in that sense. No, I'm still saying it's hypnotism, but it's a more grounded, realistic hypnotism than a supernatural hypnotism. And I think it can be aided by the fact that he literally can see into people's minds in this movie. And doing that might allow you to control somebody's mind better, even if you don't literally have the supernatural ability to control somebody's mind. But at the same time, you're saying that also that Renfield despite all this, did on some level have the agency that he could have used to go back to his family. He just didn't because of accepting Dracula's control over him. Yeah, and I, I like that element of this. Okay, when you explain it that way, I understand it a lot more, especially because in this movie, like you said, it's more of a grounded take where it doesn't truly feel like Renfield's just like a, a puppet. He he just, he's in this relationship that he's just accepted. Yeah, well, first of all, he might be afraid for his own life because, you know, Dracula's scary and like, you know, you don't want to be killed by him or in this case, have your guts ripped open by him again only to then like have Dracula pour his blood over you to save you as is the function of Dracula's blood in this movie it has some sort of healing properties um and then of course there was the aspect of the money and riches and eternal life might sound kind of appealing to somebody at some point so yeah and like the realistic terms too then he just gets used to it after so many decades and that's just who he is until you know, this movie comes about. Yeah, the opening, I wasn't sure about at first because it almost kind of does that thing that so many Hollywood movies do now where they're just like, wait a second, this is too far in the future. Let's double back and I'll tell you my story. <laughs> but seeing Dracula's story retold through this comedic tone was making me like, oh, I'm into this. This is a cool, unique way of directing the story of Dracula. <laughs> After this point, 
he teams back up with the the police officer. They're they've got the whole force against them, and they've got Dracula against them. Dracula is now controlling Ben Schwartz, aka Teddy, which also plays into that whole he wasn't really controlling people. He was looking at who wants to be controlled, who's who's afraid, and who's easy to manipulate. Because that's why Teddy would be such a a great candidate for this, because he's. Literally, literally controlled by his mother, yeah. who is the leader of this mob organization. And there's even a point when Teddy, because the reason why Teddy and Dracula interact is because Teddy's looking for Renfield to get revenge on him for beating him up in a previous action scene and humiliating him. And so he goes to this place, and there's even a point when Dracula's taken out all of Teddy's men, where Teddy tells Dracula that he has to call his mom. And I think that's probably exactly the point where Dracula realizes what this man is and how he can manipulate him. Right. I mean, when you have a guy like this and you're powerful, I don't think you need to control his mind at all. A lot of the subtle or smaller, not over-the-top bits really played into the comedy well in here. And one of the things I like is when we do get to the finale tussle between Renfield and... Teddy and Renfield's telling him, no, he's controlling you just like me. Like, you're not your own person right now, Teddy. And he's like, oh, be quiet. That's not it. I'm my own man. In fact, Master tells me that that worked pretty well. And that works on a lot of levels, too. And that action scene between the two of them was a lot of fun. I will say, though. Yeah, I have one qualm with it, too. I think it's going to be the same thing, too. So how Renfield beats Teddy I did not yep. like at all. So no, because mm. it seems like once we're getting to this finale, that like it should be something really clever, and it's not. And that's pretty much like I don't have a problem with it happening. It just seems like it should have been more for a fight of this caliber. So leading up to this fight, the mob boss and Dracula have kidnapped Rebecca's sister, the one that works in the FBI that were that she was helping her investigate into the mob. And so they tell Rebecca, you know, come get your sister. So her and Renfield go. But it, while they're on their way, they pick up weapons. And in particular, Renfield has her pick up bugs because bugs are Renfield's kind of power source. It's, it's what fuels his Dracula-like powers of super strength and agility. So during the fight with Teddy, where both of them have similar power balances and are going up against each other, how does Renfield beat somebody that's on his level? Uh, nothing. He just eats another bug, and in the power boost he gets from the bug, he just kicks Teddy and breaks all of his bones, and that's it. Yeah... I mean, at least I can say the weird way they shot him breaking all of his bones was kind of satisfying if you're into, like, a a really violent fight. But, I mean, at that rate, you know, it was about as, it was about as, like, flushed out as Popeye eats another thing of spinach before Bluto punches him or something like that. Yeah, it's... It's satisfyingly shot, but the problem is is that, from what we understand, Renfield's been eating bugs throughout this entire fight to be fighting these people that have the same powers as him, so why does this particular bug give him this, this particular ability to shatter someone's bones when why couldn't he have done that earlier? Like, if they had used the bugs more sparingly throughout the movie and shown them having this incredible effect, or have certain bugs give certain bursts of power, but instead it just feels like he another bug and now he can just defeat the bad guy immediately it, it was very unsatisfying which was a shame because i really did like ben schwartz's teddy he was probably one of my favorite characters to come out of the movie and his comedy all for the most part 
pretty much worked for me. <laughs> the first time we see Ben Schwartz in the movie, I'll just go back to this for a second, just to give an example of why I like Ben Schwartz's character. We first see him in the movie, he's like sitting in a car outside this warehouse where this drug deal's going down. And Ben Schwartz, I like the second I saw him, I was like, oh cool, Ben Schwartz. And I thought he was just gonna be like a cameo. And he's on the phone talking to somebody. He's sent in one of his thugs to go deal with the people doing the drug bust. And the guy he's sent in is this dude that's like covered in, what do you want to call it? He's just, he almost looks like um, Leatherface He's like covered in different patches in this big suit all over his body. And he walks in and when it cuts back to Ben Schwartz on the phone in the car, he's talking to somebody and <laughs> the line is, yeah, yeah, yeah. His name's uh, Apache Joe. What? Oh, well, you tell him his name's racist. The dude cuts out people's tongues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that was, was the first laugh in the movie that really got me. Uh, as in a movie that, like you said, just doesn't really have a lot of hits. So it was sad for me seeing that character go out that way in a way that was unfortunately just kind of unsatisfying. But the scene that it leads to after, which is the final confrontation between Dracula and the rest, I did enjoy the dramatic tension of, of Dracula trying to manipulate Rebecca into saving her sister by joining him. Right. It was fairly obvious that she wasn't going to be manipulated, but I mean, not fairly. It was blatantly obvious, but at least it felt a little bit more clever than what they had just done with the bug. Yeah, exactly. Like, you could understand from a dramatic level why she would want to make this choice, but also, like Alex said, it was obvious that this character was not going to make that choice and she would not be manipulated because she's been under the thumb of many people her, her whole life. So it makes sense that Dracula's influence wouldn't have, have as much of an effect over her. So it leads to a big confrontation between her and Renfield and Dracula that leads to the... Basically, earlier in the movie, it's established that the mob boss basically has this giant torture chamber with walls and walls of weapons, which... When it's set up, it's like, ah, okay, that's what they're going to use on Dracula. Even before we get to the walls of weapons, yeah, she manipulates Dracula into thinking that he's manipulating her, which works effectively in order to get to a... I wasn't sure where exactly she was going with it, but I guess the button by her was to open up all of the the metal window covers that they had used to block out the place so it would be safe for him to to be during the daytime it opens up and he starts disintegrating as vampires do and most lore it turns into a bunch of bats which he's done a few times in this movie that all catch on fire they all fly into another room that's dark they follow him in there and just the uh other than like the aesthetics i don't like because we had said this was a blending of horror comedy and action and other than just some of like the body horror of Dracula. I couldn't actually say there had been much horror up to it until like the very end here, but I did really like the the dark room with the flashing lights where Dracula was appearing behind them every couple of seconds with his vampire speed. I thought that was all well set up there too. I just wanted to point that out. Yeah, we do see some of his other forms. We see a colony of bats flying around. We also see him turn into mist a few times throughout the movie, which is another one of Dracula's forms. I almost wanted to see, because, you know, we also know that he can turn into, like, a wolf. A wolf, yeah. And That's other, the other big one. I would have wanted to see that, because that could have also been an effective way of him attacking people during the action scenes. But, oh well. What we get instead is a big action scene where the two of them duel before Renfield ends up using the... So basically, at the beginning of the movie, Dracula is trapped by these priests using, like, a conjuring circle, like, by spreading salt or whatever around to trap them, and 
Renfield breaks that and breaks Dracula out because, of course, he's still under Dracula's control. And at the end of the movie, it's actually they end up using that same technique to then defeat Dracula, which, yeah, good. Set up and payoff. That's that's a good way of writing a script. And I like the way they do it, too. It, this got a good laugh out of me and my friend. Instead of having access to salt in this gangster's warehouse, they have access to, to cocaine, so they use that. And it, as it turns out, if you say the right Latin words, any powder works. So I, th- I thought that was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was a funny idea. Another one of, one of the comedy bits in this movie that did actually hit. As you know, Dracula is pretty much immortal and it's almost impossible to defeat him and he always comes back no matter what you do to him so they go well i guess we're gonna try everything and see if it works so they just start taking all these different torture contraptions off of this wall and just using them all on dracula to the point where they caught him up into bits and then put those bits in cement yeah they like (laughs) disintegrate him and put the bits in cement into like an ice cube tray and then they drop the ice cube trays into like i don't know the sewer by the end of it they just i really like the idea of them trying everything because you know how many dracula movies have we seen since now in 1931 not that they would all be direct sequels but even still a lot of those he dies forever until the next movie. So I, this was a really nice little touch. Yes, a good way of, of parroting the endless Dracula movies that we've seen in the past. Not even just in other Dracula movies, but the movie does already set this up at the beginning, that Dracula is resurrected over and over and over again. So we know even from the movie's context that it's been impossible to kill him. So there's, I guess there's only one way to find out. And then, yeah, so it leads then to a happy ending where Renfield finally, finally is on his own, and he's back in his support group, which, yes, the support group is alive, because as it turns out, Dracula's blood can heal basically any wound, including, you know, someone that's already dead. (laughs) If you're already dead, yeah. Which I don't know necessarily how I felt about that, but it was nice to have the support group back and have Renfield back with those characters, because, yeah, as Alex and I said, we like those characters, and it was an effective emotional tug to see them all be taken out. Which is why I... Even though I was happy to see them again because I liked them and I felt good for Renfield at the time, I don't think it was the best call to bring them back. I mean, I guess it was with the tone they were trying to go for, well, one of the tones, but it ultimately makes it a lot less effective bringing them back at the end. I don't know. Like, I get it. We want to have that one last bit of Renfield finishing his journey of finally finding not just his individuality but his power his ability to take back his power over himself right and just like to have a life for the first time in 80 years but it's true they could have found another way to do that than just by sprinkling dracula blood on the people and bringing them back but i'll be honest alex one of the parts of the movie that did make me laugh is the leader of the support group just being like yeah thanks for bringing us back with dracula blood (laughs) thanks for bringing us back even though We can't unsee things we've seen and things we know. Yeah, see, I I liked all that stuff, which kind of made that twist a little worthwhile to me. But yeah, I mean, that's basically it. The movie's over after that. And because of its Marvel movie-ish tone, I did actually sit through the entire credits. Yeah, so did I. And it turned out actually a lot of people in the theater did. Surprisingly, actually, like a greater percentage of people stayed to the, the ending of this film than in the last Marvel film I was actually at. 
Oh, wow. That's impressive. My my audience all actually left. I was the only one in the theater watching the credits. Uh, or maybe... No, wait, no. I guess the last one I'm thinking of was actually Shazam, a DC film, which, like Marvel and basically every superhero movie now, did have two post-credit scenes. And this one... No, no post-credit scenes. So, still, I actually like just some of the... I don't know if they were, like, test shots or just Nick Cage goofing around and a lot of the weird, creepy stuff behind the credits, but some of that was pleasing. Yeah, I liked the editing of the credit sequence, and, yeah, there was no after-credit scene. Just just nothing. <laughs> they, I was honestly kind of satisfied by that, that this movie was just a movie. And it easily sets itself up for a sequel if they want to, and that they've established, eh, he might come back, who knows. But, you know, if they don't, then you could tell yourself he's dead forever this time if you want. Yeah, I'm not sure what they would really do with a sequel to this besides more of just Renfield fighting other threats. Maybe they'd bring in other universal-type monsters or whatever. Either that or if they end up making a cinematic universe, then they could easily just pull back Dracula and they don't even have to do anything with Renfield if they don't want to. Right, though I think after the horrible failure of The Mummy and their multiple attempts into making this a cinematic universe, I still think this is probably just going to stay its own franchise. Most likely, because I haven't had a chance to see The Invisible Man yet. I tried to go seek it out at like a rooftop movie screening in Pittsburgh, but it was actually the original Invisible Man film, so that the new one is still on my list to see. And after your review of The Mummy, I don't really have any drive to see it or from at least what you've told me about that film does this work a lot better than the mummy i know you said that one had some mixed tones in it oh my goodness alex yes (laughs) oh my goodness yeah yeah i have major issues with renfield and i wasn't really all that into it coming out of the theater but to say it's better than the mummy well okay that's not the question is it is this a similar tone to the mummy oh no, no, no. The Mummy was much more of a serious film. And The Mummy... Okay. But I will say The Mummy also had that kind of Marvelish vibe where it's a mix right. of action scenes. But there's definitely... The Mummy is definitely less of a comedy. There's comedy in it, but it's more of a serious sure. horror-ish movie about The Mummy coming back and choosing Tom Cruise as her one to bring back the god in Tom Cruise's body or whatever. Anyway, it's a terrible movie. Um, <laughs> the movie uh, ends with Tom Cruise covered in bandages, not because he's actually injured and disfigured, and is, but just because, well, he's the mummy now, so he has to wear bandages. Let me ask you another question. Did you have much of a turnout in your theater for uh, this um, one? Not really. I would say, like, the audience, the seats in front of me... Um, which was only like one or two rows. The row directly in front of me was filled by a group of people in their like 60s, which I was kind of surprised by. And they actually did seem to have a pretty good time. I actually, yeah, I had several other groups here too. And a lot of them were older. I mean, I guess it is rated R. You're not going to be taking your kids to this one. So maybe that does make sense. So I know that we both complained about the comedy a good bit. I was going to ask if you heard much laughter in your theater, because like I acknowledged a lot of Thor just went past me, but in my theater, there was a lot of laughing that wasn't from me. This was another case where I will say the audience definitely laughed at the movie more than I did. I had the same thing. I didn't, I got laughs out of like maybe 10 things or maybe a dozen. It's just they had so many attempts in here that it was just such a small fraction and other people did laugh more than I did, but no one, like myself included, no one really actually laughed. A lot of times we would just get like 
you know, one chuckle or one ha or just like somebody breathing. Like nothing worked at a level where anybody actually went, <laughs> I mean, or something that sounds less fake than that, but genuine, you know, really it was just chuckles. I heard a lot of genuine laughs from the, from the group of 60 year olds in my theater. They were much more into the film uh, than I was. And they were entertaining to watch because you could tell that they were engaged in what was going on. Now I can say that a lot of the jokes in the movie that didn't work, I don't think worked for them either, but they definitely laughed more often than I did. And a lot of the yelling comedy you said you did not enjoy, I definitely heard them laughing <laughs> during that stuff. Yeah, I heard, I got some chuckles during that stuff too from other groups. But overall, I can say after discussing the movie, Alex, uh, I definitely see it in a more positive light after hearing some of your thoughts on it. I still am not a big fan of the movie or anything, but I can say that it overall had a lot of elements that put it above certainly many of the other films I've covered on this podcast. It, it has some level of entertainment. Like, I would put this over, in terms of Marvel films, I'd say it's better than Thor Love and Thunder for sure. Oh, yeah, I would agree with that. There's definitely a lot of interesting stuff here with the way they play around with the Universal Monsters that gives it a more unique feel than right. the Marvel films I've seen. But ultimately, I think we both agreed that it would have been better if they had just removed a lot of comedy from this. I think... If they did keep the comedy the way they did, well, first of all, even if they kept the comedy, I think maybe it could have been executed better, so a more of it could have worked. But ultimately, like, with this tone, I also don't know if it really worked to keep the, the rated R really bloody feel to it, because I think it limits a lot of the audience who might have wanted to actually see this kind of yelling humor throughout a lot of it. I would say for me personally if this film and what we've discussed sounds interesting to you and you still haven't seen it yet i would wait for it to go on streaming i would not go out to a theater to see this no yeah you don't need to it's no must see but it's certainly a lot better than i'd say i was expecting even if i wasn't necessarily thrilled by the final product good action good effects some likable characters and performances kind of a tonally inconsistent story for me that sometimes doesn't quite feel like it knows what it wants to be and i feel like like we said if maybe if it went for a more serious tone it would have been much better but for what it is it definitely could have been a lot worse at least they, they do the vampire justice for having not seen Dracula and anything for a while, or at least anything of note for a while. I think they did one back in like 2014 or something that nobody saw, but if you... Are you talking about Dracula Untold, Alex? Yep, that's what I'm talking about. Yes, nobody saw that. Though I will tell you... It... <laughs> I think it remains untold, Brandon. But I will tell you currently, Alex, as we speak... Renfield had a budget of 65 million and currently it's holding about 10 million at the box office worldwide. Oh, geez. Yeah, well, that actually doesn't surprise me. Um, for whatever reason, this had very limited show times. I found like when we w went and did 65, I like was able to jump right on it by going to like a 10 o'clock showing or something like that almost because they had like a whole range of show times throughout the day for most days when I had been looking it up. But like every day that I had looked at seeing this, it only had three showtimes at most theaters around here. For a, a brand new release, too, of this caliber surprised me. Yeah, I actually had to drive at least 40 miles out of my area to find this film, because it was not playing at any of my local theaters. 
But I guess the box office kind of shows why, though maybe the lack of it not being in other theaters is why it's having a bit of trouble. I mean, to be fair, it's coming out in the wake of the Super Mario Brothers movies release, which is currently worldwide sitting at, it's already over 500 million and it's getting close to a billion now. So, yeah, maybe that's partially why nobody went to see Renfield. But, yeah, I can definitely say that there were reasons why maybe you should have, maybe you shouldn't, you know. I'm definitely curious to see what the future of the Universal Monsterverse is now. Because we got Visible Man and then this, which are two dramatically different films in tone. Now, what I've been waiting for since the original is another Creature from the Black Lagoon movie, as far as all these characters go. We've seen... Wolfman, Frankenstein, Dracula, and the Mummy so much over the decades. And, like, the only time we've really seen the creature from the Black Lagoon since his, like, first three movies in the, the 50s would be, like, a cameo in, uh, I think it was 1988's Monster Squad, which was kind of a kid's movie where, like, the five Universal Monsters team up, which has some pretty good practical effects in it, and Creature had a great look, um, but I think you could do a lot with that now, and it also wouldn't have to be retreading as much as, you know, every new Dracula movie or Frankenstein movie we get is, so we have things like this because we've made so many Dracula movies over the, the ages. Like you said, there's so much more room for the other monsters to get their due. Will they make any money at the box office? I think that's why studios are unsure. That's why they're mostly just pumping out Dracula and occasionally mummy movies, I guess. Like, I'm surprised the mummies, the, I, mean, I guess it's because of the Brendan Fraser franchise's success. But there's definitely other monsters that deserve more of a second chance at or third chance, or tenth chance, or however they've had. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, though. Like, with the, the creature, like, especially, you could just make a straight-up horror film, whereas we have to keep trying all these other things to, like, differentiate them from films we've already made. Right. To a point where we get a movie about Dracula's sidekick trying to break away from him like a domestic relationship, which is a neat idea. But again, I think we have this because there have been 100,000 movies about Dracula. That's an exaggeration, but... <laughs> and they know that Dracula works, usually. So that's why they did this. I don't know. I guess we'll have to see. I, I, I've, I've heard rumors about them making a new Frankenstein and working on other films of that type. So, hey, if they keep this up and keep each of them distinct and unique and something different, we could have a really interesting, not improvement on the what, what they're building from, but at least a really interesting series of new monster films to maybe spark sure. interest in them again. Well, thanks for covering me, me with this, Alex. Because this one, I wasn't quite sure how to feel coming out of the theater, and I think I have a better idea now, now that I've had somebody to discuss it with. But that's Renfield. It's uh, it's definitely another Dracula movie. <laughs> and on that ominous note, thank you for listening. If you'd like to give feedback on this episode or send us suggestions for movies or topics to talk about, you can send all those to overthinkingmoviespodcast at gmail.com. And for more episodes of Overthinking Movies, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, essentially anywhere you can find podcasts. And if we're not on the app of your choice, let us know. You can also find us on goldhitswkva.com, star967.com, and WCHX1055.com, all by clicking the podcast tab at the top.
Some of my future plans for this podcast are to do full retrospectives on each of the Universal Monsters, from their different adaptations to the breadth of films, even in the original 30s to 40s Universal Monsterverse. Whether or not Alex gets his dream of a Creature from the Black Lagoon remake, I can at least say that at some point we will definitely do a full series retrospective on the Creature movies. But for now, as Alex and I kind of implied, maybe it's best to begin with Dracula. We'll find out what what I decided to do in October. <laughs> That's a wrap. <laughs>